0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Baldrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we interviewed Jason Ricks, a very experienced real estate investor focused on retail. And we learned what is cash on cash and how it is different from IRR, what are real estate investment trusts, REITs, and what are the pros and cons of Rates. And today we are continuing our interview with Jason and we are focusing on what is happening to retail, how should a retail investor approach his or her investments and what do national tenants look for on their lease? Here we go. Let's switch gears and talk about retail. <laughs> Where Yay. do you think retail is going based on all this incredible experience that you've been having?
1: Now you're laughing over there and I'm sure a lot of folks that have come on your, your podcast have talked about this retail evolution and the apocalypse and, and that retail's dying. And, and when you look at the history of retail, you know, retail has always evolved based on consumer demands and convenience. From a macro view, we are seeing a slowing in the development pipeline, slightly higher cap rates compared to other sectors. And I'd argue we're a little overbuilt in the United States when it comes to retail. However, there is a tremendous amount of product that is obsolete, a lot of Class C malls and Class C shopping centers across the U.S. that really need to be repurposed and rezoned. We're starting to see that happen now. I go back to this idea that Sears completely disrupted retail back when they came out with their catalog. And then, you know, the next flavor of the month was, oh, it's more convenient to go to the mall, you know, like your traditional shopping mall. Um, And then in the 90s, you know, power centers just ballooned, right? And so you had these huge giant anchors, and they were fulfillment stores. And now you have the advent of online, and we're seeing kind of all of these things shift out. And retail has always been so fast evolving and, and shaping around consumer demands and convenience. With all that being said, we're still seeing NOI growth of around 2% across the board. Rental rates in all major metros are increasing. And a lot of this has been driven by consumer purchasing power of the US consumer. And we're seeing increases in, in consumer retail spending, as I mentioned earlier. And um, consumer sentiment index is at 100, right? So, which is really on the high side. And we're seeing year over year growth on retail trade of around 3.5% which are really healthy marks, honestly. I have an interesting blog post that I just posted a few weeks ago. And I was talking about Amazon and online sales and all the headlines that are impacting retail investor sentiment. And um, I take it straight from the horse's mouth. So I go straight to Jeff Bezos, right? I go to his annual shareholder letter. Online sales only accounts for around 12% of total retail spending. So brick and mortar makes up arguably about 88% right? Of the remainder. And most people, brick and mortar is dying. And in fact, it's growing. It grew by 2% last year. Now It's not growing as fast as online sales are, but, but here's the funny thing. If you dig into Jeff's letter, 58% of sales on Amazon are driven by third party sellers. These are, these are not like huge businesses. These are small and medium sized companies. And when I break this down even further, my friends at uh, ICSE, which stands for the International Council of Shopping Centers, they did a huge report on this about the relationship between brick and mortar and online. And simply put, with all of their findings, brick and mortar locations help grow online sales and brand awareness. And so I think figuring this out now and they're adapting appropriately. And so it's, it's really an exciting time. I'm working with a ton of retailers that were born online that understand the importance of brick and mortar. So I would say that, you know, watch out for a lot of the headlines and really dig into the numbers and it tells a different story.
0: That reminds me of this makeup brand that started online called Glossier. I just came across one of their actual brick and mortar (laughs) stores that they are opening and it was packed. It's awesome, so, right? I agree with you. There is a shift, but it will still be there.
1: I think a lot of these retailers are figuring out the business. It's totally different than online. All the records clearly indicate that if you're if you're going to open a store, it's actually going to increase your online traffic. And at the end of the day, Stephanie, I think sales are sales for these retailers and they're just finding creative ways to reach their customers.
0: How should a retail investor think and approach their investments in today's world?
1: I think, regardless of the asset, you have to take a long term vision on real estate based on strong fundamentals. We can't control what the Fed's going to do tomorrow, we can't control what cap rates and where they're going to trend. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time worrying about those things. Commercial real estate is so cyclical and it's always in either one of four phases. At the end of the day, you want to find well-located assets with really strong demographics, one, three, and five mile radius. Understand how many households, what's the average household income, what's the population, how's it growing, how's the job market. You know, just going back to the basics, right? And then we want to look for attractive opportunities. When you're in a rising cap rate market, you have to find ways to grow your NOI. The only way to do that is to really dig into the market dynamics and understand where the value is. And there's an art to underwriting shopping centers. It's not the brokers (laughs) where it's like, hey, you know, you can just lease up this vacancy in three to six months, and this is the market rate they're going to pay. It's not that, there's so many more nuances to getting leases done. So you have to find ways to lease and attract the right tenants. My preference is doing this through re-merchandising, renovating, or redeveloping centers in growth markets. I'll take it a step further. I'll give you an example of a deal that we're looking at right now in Sparks, Nevada, which has experienced a tremendous amount of growth as a very healthy employment figure at this point. And we're looking at a shopping center that's um, right around an eight cap. We've got great national anchor tenants. We've got a grocery store there. And on the outskirts of the property, we have a whole bunch of these fast food restaurants, right? If I buy the entire shopping center in an cap, and I can liquidate and sell these PAD sites for around a six or six and a half cap to REITs that need to find these properties, That's an immediate arbitrage. And on top of that, we have a broad base of of tenant relationships and broker relationships that we're already working with an anchor tenant to take 50,000 square feet while we're we're trying to buy the shopping center. So day one, we could go in with a creative strategy to return equity to our LPs right away and also find ways to have long-term cash flow with uh, securitizing that anchor in the space. These are the creative approaches that we're looking at across the board.
0: As you work with a lot of tenants, what are they looking for in a retail center nowadays?
1: From a broad approach, it's always been about market share, finding sales, and then finding the desirable tenant mix. So retailers are just, they're getting so sophisticated right now, Stephanie, when it comes to understanding the, the market analytics trends and where they need to be in the marketplace. Demographics play a really huge role in this understanding traffic counts, traffic patterns, visibility, the amount of parking that they know they'll need. And they want to partner with well-respected landlords that are going to take care of the asset. You know, as an example, a friend of mine works for Publix. He's the head of their site selection. He can look at any market and go, Jason, look, based on this three, five and 10 mile radius, I know based on traffic patterns and household incomes, how much we're going to generate in sales. I'm like, well, how accurate is that? within like 5%. It is unbelievable. They can look at that market and really kind of come in with a clear set of eyes and go, okay, we think we can get this. And based on that, we can only pay X in rent. And we need this type of uh, contribution on tenant improvement allowance. It's really becoming more sophisticated. And as you know, you're on the West Coast, data is everything, and it certainly seems that in our industry now.
0: Shifting gears a little bit, what are some of the most important things that national tenants want to see on their lease when they're negotiating it?
1: Oh well wow. how long do you want your show to be? Um I could, could hear uh, <laughs> me and Michael have so many war stories about working with big national tenants. Oh my <laughs> the, uh, here I'll keep, I'll try to keep it brief and, and not go off on a tangent. At the end of the day they want to have control of the lease and have flexibility in their favor. Besides the basic stuff like uh, base rent and uh, tenant improvement dollars, a lot of times we sit there and and we'll uh, fight on exclusive use provisions. I'll kind of describe what that is. Let's say, Stephanie, you, you own a sandwich shop, right? And in that sandwich shop, you sell bags of chips and ice cream.
0: Mm -hmm. Now,
1: you're a big national and I own this huge shopping center and you go, you know what, Jason, I don't want you to lease to anyone else that sells sandwiches, chips, or ice cream. (laughs) I've got five other restaurants that are already doing that now, right? Let's say Mm -hmm. you're a very fast, quick service restaurant and I have a really fine, nice dining kind of experience on another pad site that has sandwiches and ice cream. These are two different competing uses for two different competing consumers. And so we've spent a lot of time negotiating and making sure that landlords can have some flexibility there as well. On top of that, you know, one of the beauties of shopping center investing is you have a triple net lease, which uh, really means that the tenants pay for their portion of the taxes, insurance and common area maintenance for the shopping center. Well, a lot of the big guys, they don't want to pay for certain things and they want my ability to pass through those expenses to be capped on a year basis. Which I understand, but at the same time, we have to be able to maintain the property in a certain condition to be able to attract other tenants as well. And it's also to their benefit, so they should pay. And so these are a lot of the fun things that we do. Going back to the sandwich shop example, You may come to me and go, hey, I want to do a five-year deal with you, Jason, but I want to have two renewal options for an additional five years, and I want those to be capped at a certain rate. I definitely don't want to cap those because I think there's probably the potential for greater upside if those were at fair market value. However, these tenants want to have certainty. They want to be able to bake it into their models as well and be secured in that space for 15 or, in some cases, like I did, I deal with CVS. They wanted a 75-year lease with me with with (laughs) 5 Five-year options.
0: Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) you got to work with me. you got to work with me here, guys. Like, help me out, which is nuts, right? And then the other stuff, if you're doing like a large grocery anchored shopping center, they're not going to want you to build in front of their space, which I understand. My old landlords would love to build in front of everyone's space and just have a ton of pad sites, but... So they have no build areas. They don't want any of their visibility to be impacted from multiple different vantage points, which makes total sense. And then the other one I'm sure Michael would love to talk about is these co-tenancy clauses. Say, for example, we do a deal with Ross, stress for Less, and they want to make sure that the landlord's keeping the center fairly well occupied. Well, they may come to me and say, hey, look, if this center goes below 60 70%, I'm going to get a haircut on the rent. So you have to work with a lot of those interesting uh, scenarios with these nationals.
0: And then on the other hand, would it be fair to say that the landlords want the opposite (laughs) of all of this? Or are there any other items that the landlords would want to see on their lease during negotiation?
1: No, you're absolutely right, it's very similar. From my experience, it's so important that you understand who's signing the lease, what's the entity, and how are you securitizing this lease? This could be a corporate guarantee, This could be a franchisee or this could be an individual. Well, I'm going to have to treat a corporate guarantee very different from a franchisee or a local tenant. And the reason for that is you have to understand how to read a balance sheet and the P&L, understand where their liquidity is, what their long term debt looks like. You know, what's the likelihood of these tenants being able to pay their rent over the life of the lease? You know, again, to the sandwich concept idea where you run the shop, let's say you have only a little bit of cash in the bank and you're taking on an SBA loan. And then you want me to give you $100,000 in tenant improvement allowance. That's really, really tricky for me to do just because you don't have a ton of money. On you. And so those are the fun things. And you have to make sure you understand the nuances of entity law and working with an attorney that gets it. If they don't have skin in the game, it is so easy for these guys to get in and get out. I can't tell you how many times we've learned this the hard way where we'll sign a sign a lease with a local franchisee and it's it's a shadow entity. And he closes the shop down and we try to pursue legal recourse and there's there's nothing to get. And so you really have to be careful and understand these nuances.
0: Is there anything else that you think our audience should know and be aware of?
1: Right now, Amazon has called me within the last few months, probably three or four times. And I've been working with them the last year. They're trying to open up 3000 Amazon Go stores by 2021. They just opened up their... 500 Whole Foods location in Atlanta. They're calling me for bookstores. There's this perception that retail is dead and I can tell you that it is not and is doing extremely well in certain markets with a certain product type. So you have to be careful as an LP investor but find the right sponsor that gets it. Find what's right for you if you're going to invest in the space. And please, you know, never hesitate. I'm always happy. I love real estate. I love talking to like-minded folks. Always happy to, to reach out to me and I'll try to help answer any questions and add value where I can.
0: I think you already added a ton of value. You added years of experience of value into a 20, 30 minute conversation. So I am very, very grateful for you to share your knowledge with everyone. How can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: Feel free to sign up for our newsletter at ConcordiaRealty.com. Michael and I are always putting out free content and working with other GP sponsors to get some really creative information and, and value enhancing information to our folks that are on the newsletter. Or don't hesitate to reach out to me directly if you want to talk. My email is jason at concordiarealty.com.
0: And I will put the link to their website and Jason's email under show notes, as well as the blog that you mentioned earlier during the interview. Jason, thank you so much. I really look forward to continuing chatting with you and uh, building our relationship. You are truly experienced obviously and i hope our listeners some of our listeners get in touch with you to learn a little bit more about what you're doing
1: no thank you so much stephanie for having me on and uh, i gotta thank you personally for getting me to look into the memphis market you sent me a package on memphis and we can talk about this offline but we're we're exploring a deal uh, just catty corner to that one so thank you <laughs> and uh, really appreciate you having me on
0: make sure to subscribe to our channel And if you know anyone who is interested in learning about commercial real estate investing, share this podcast with them and I will see you next time.